What's up, guys? We are back at it again, talking money, of course, but we're going to be talking about how to teach your children about finances once again. So this is such an important topic. I think we could talk about this for many shows, but we have been able to talk to several different people who have really leaned into this topic. And today I'm going to be talking with another one of them. And so we're going to be talking about his blog and book and how he's been able to really teach his children about how to do money. And he's using an old form of story or fables to really implant those stories for his children. So this is super interesting really for me and as a parent, and I think really even for children is an opportunity for them to learn. Our guest today is Will Rainey, and we're going to talk about all those things and his experience in transitioning from being in the investment and finance world to becoming an author of children's books and also a blogger about teaching children about money. So he's got all sorts of really great stories that he, he shares in today's conversation and lessons to take away and tools and you can really use to start moving the right direction with this. So I think this is a great conversation and I know you will as well. So let's jump in and get things going. Will, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. We've been talking the past month or so about finances and the integration with family and some of these, you know, family is super important and finances are super important. But what we're going to talk about today is kind of along those lines, but we're really zeroing in now on like children and helping to teach our children. And I think this is even more, I mean, this is really, really important because our children are our future. And as parents, I feel this responsibility to kind of, well, first of all, survival is our, <laughs> with my kids at least, I'm like, let's keep these guys alive. But beyond that, I'm like trying to turn them into good human beings. And so Will has been really leaning into this subject matter of like teaching children how to do money the right way at earlier ages which I love. And I look forward to chatting with you about it. I think it's a great topic. And I think definitely not enough of these kinds of conversations going on. No, I totally agree. And it's such an important topic. And yet most parents never talk about money themselves. So they find it really hard to talk about money with their kids. And also that some a lot of people think money's a taboo subject and they don't want to put that pressure. So I'm really glad to be here today and raising this topic with your listeners. Yeah, yeah. I think money's, like you said, one of those taboo topics. So what happens is or the natural tendency is for us to not talk about taboo topics or uncomfortable topics like sex and religion and politics and money and all those things. We just kind of like dodge the conversation. But then with our kids, especially like they become influenced by something else. If They're going to get influenced either way. And so the idea or I guess what's at stake here, like for everybody listening, like if you don't bring it up or if I don't bring it up, it's hard to bring up. But if we don't bring it up, they're going to get influenced either way. And so probably going to be that cultural pull, which I don't want that to happen. Yeah. And there's even more than that. If children see that you don't talk about money, say children are going to pick up money exists, they're going to see it. But if parents don't talk about it. The kids are going to assume that by the parents not talking about it, it's a bad subject, a bit like mm -hmm. 
kids know about swearing, but they know that they don't see their parents swearing, hopefully. And they know that parent that swearing is a bad thing because their parents don't do it. And their parents. And so if children think money's a bad thing growing up, they're going to close down their kind of mindset towards money. They're not going to ask questions about it. They're not going to try and be curious about it because they think it's this bad topic that no one talks about. Mm-hmm. So the more that parents can be open and have start having fun conversations and positive conversations about money from the youngest age, I think it's going to have such a positive impact on their outlook mm-hmm. and in terms of money and, and life as well. Yeah. So I want to talk about your book. He's written on this, actually. I mean, like this guy is the guy on money for kids. His book is called Grandpa's Fortune Fables, which I love a fable. Fun stories to teach your kids about money. So I want to circle back to your book and talk through what that's about and give you guys listening kind of a feel for the takeaways from that. But before we get into that, like, how did you become a writer about money for kids? So my background is I was in investments. So I used to work for a a large consultancy firm that advised very large institutions, so retirement schemes, insurance companies, and even some governments, so both in the UK. And then I did move to Hong Kong and had a regional role. So I worked across the whole of Asia, talking to some of the largest investors in Asia. And I really enjoyed that. And then it was around 2017, I was actually talking to one of my clients about my two young daughters. And I can't remember the conversation, but they just said to me, enjoy this time with your daughters. They only grow up once, which is a very obvious statement, but it had a really big impact on me because they were growing up so fast. And so my wife and I decided that we're going to take some time off corporate work to spend more time with our kids. And so that's what we did. So we put a bit of a plan in and in 2019, we left Hong Kong and we moved to a really cool place called Hoi An in Vietnam. It's like one of the most beautiful places in the world, in my opinion. And so the kids were in off to school, and so I wanted to have a project. And what I did realize is that when I left Hong Kong, even though I worked in the financial services industry, a lot of people said to me, how can you afford not to be working? And I thought it was quite strange because we've been advising institutions and I know some of my peers and some of my clients were earning very good money. I was surprised that none of them had felt that they could do the same as what we were doing. And I think it comes back to, then I kind of reflected and thought, well, I think it's because my parents were savers and my wife's parents were also savers. And so we became savers ourselves. So we had savings and investments that allowed us to have that opportunity. So reflecting on that, I was like, I want my children to be able to have at least the opportunity to do what we're doing at that time and take time off and spend time with their families if they have families when they're growing up. And so I started to teach my kids about money. So when they were going to bed, I'd make up a story to try and make money fun. And then I used to tell some of my friends, first of all, telling friends and family what I was doing and seeing if they would find that interesting. And they said, yes. So I started to write a blog, which is on my website. And so every week I was like, I'm going to write a different topic about money to help parents teach their kids. And it went really well. And after one of my early ones got picked up by the financial times in the UK and started to get more and more followers. And after a period of time, I just got really determined every single week I'm going to write. And I could try to come up with different stories. And so in the blogs, I had a number of these different stories about money, which I had told my kids before going to bed. And some of them did really popular. And after a while, someone was like, why don't you make them into a book? And so I took a number of those small stories collected them together, put them in a, an order, which I thought would sort of progress families through the sort of financial journey and put the characters in there to, to have a flow. 
And yeah, and that's where Grandpa's Fortune Fables uh, came from. And mm -hmm. I've just been doing it. And I never started with a passion of, I never left my last job saying, I want to go and help kids. But now I've been doing it for over three years. It's it's taken over. I'm so passionate about it. I understand how important it is to the financial future of kids. There's so much to be done because it's just not a topic that's spoken about. And yet it can have such a big impact on, on lives. So I'm now fully embedded into helping as many families as possible teach their kids about money. Yeah, I love it that you pursued kind of a value-oriented project. And those, I think are the best if we can like afford to or have the resources to be able to make that choice you did like two value i mean you first of all it was due to the value of wanting to be with your children more and so it's so interesting that our the cultural pull is to like work really really hard especially when the kids are really young <laughs> it's like if you look at the average working hours it's high when they're young and want to be with you and then when you're old and retired and have plenty of time, they're all grown up and don't have time for you, which is kind of backwards. <laughs> it's like you flip that on its head and originally pursued that value. So you're kind of living out your values. And then now you're leaning into this passion project. And I'm not surprised it's working out well, yeah. because you know, that's kind of the right way to follow yeah. things. Yeah, just on that, I've heard someone give a statistic, and I don't know how true it is. But it's about 90% of the time that you spend with your children is by, before their age of 12. So 90% of the time that you spend with your kids is they're 12 or younger. and In their entire you, life. Yeah. And that just, again, I don't know if that number is true, but you can imagine that it could be because when they're going to teenagers, they're off with more friends. And so, yeah, once I heard that, I was like, right, I've got to make the most of the time when they are young to be with them. Yeah. I don't know how you had the courage to do that because there's, I would guess that the cult, the peer groups and everybody was kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. Was that no, correct? But, yeah. No, but the biggest one was my wife. Um, when I sort of first <laughs> suggested it, she was like, but no one does this. <laughs> this is not what people do. Why What's wrong we? with you? Yeah. We went through and it, so I say it was 2017 when the, the idea came up and it wasn't until 2019. So it was two years of talking about it. And then the more we talked about it and the more we looked into the, how possible it is and looked at our budgeting and to do that and the impact it could have on the, our daughters. But the more and more we talked about it and the more and more excited we got and we wanted to put it in practice. And we always felt that we had good reputations in our jobs that if we did that and go back, we'll have that security net. We did have savings and investments. So the risk of financial ruin was, was minimal. So we knew there would be some risks, but it's been super worthwhile. Um, and thoroughly enjoyed both the experience and the time with the kids. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like the question we should all ask is like, why are we saving? Like, what's the purpose of our savings? Hopefully you're saving, but like the question is, why are you saving? And a lot of people say, so I can retire. Well, what's an ideal retirement look like? And why is that ideal? And you can peel back the layers. And a lot of people will say, really, what's most important is my family and the time I spend with them. So then it's like, well, Maybe you could do that sooner than retirement, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the topics is, and I've written about this one, it's called mini retirements. And it's rather than, especially for retirement ages are getting longer and people are living longer. So our children might have to work until they're in their seventies. It is fully possible. And so that can be quite daunting. And so my plan of view is I'd rather have sort of two or three years now. And even if I have to work two or three years, I'd rather retire at 68, but have this time now, because I think it would be much more valuable and memorable. Right. 
Yeah, you're looking at it from the trade-off standpoint. I yeah. think the right way to look at it. And so all this is, this is important stuff, but I want to also talk about the book and teaching kids about money because it's one thing to talk money with adults. And what's interesting is your book is very similar to some of these adult targeted audience books about finance that I've yeah. read before. So maybe it's not as different as you might think. What are your thoughts on that? We already talked about it before we started recording, but doesn't it have a flavor of other types of finance books? No, no, huge. It's hugely influenced by The Richest Man in Babylon, which I yeah. try to read to my kids, but just because of the Babylonian language, it's a nightmare. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, even The Psychology of Money. So it's trying to I felt they had a big impact on me. So even though I worked in financial services, I still found that I was hugely impacted by these books and they changed how I managed my own money when I read them in my sort of late 20s, early 30s. And so I always thought, oh, if I imagine if I, my children got those lessons. So I kind of put some of those lessons, which I thought were really important for kids to learn and put them in a story format that children would enjoy. And um, so you have like, the most obvious one, from the rich man in Babylon is save one out of every 10 um, that you receive. And that's one of the key messages. So in the book covers what I call the free rules of wealth. And one of the, the first one is save one out of every 10, but to make it fun for kids, I didn't just say, save one out of every 10. I put the whole book into a language of getting children to think of money like seeds. And so they can give those seeds away or what they can do is think about planting those seeds. And as soon as you say that, kids are curious about what planting money means. And that's when you get into the conversation about saving and investing. And so you say to them, every time you get some seeds, make sure you save one of those seeds and plant it and let it grow. And essentially that's your, your free rules of wealth. One is save one out of every 10. The second is plant it, which is save it or put it in a savings account or better still invest it. And the third is be patient. So let that tree grow. So it's an easy way for them to visualize money and imagine this financial forest kind of growing. So the story of grandpa growing his forest in these and learning all these different lessons as he goes through mm. is a bit easy for kids to, to enjoy and learn at the same time. Yeah. So I would love it if we could talk about the first couple of chapters. We were talking before we started recording and the first two chapters and reading them, like the way the book is set up is you have these lessons learned at the end of each chapter, which I think is really good because you can boil down the point and then a little exercise you can do that's super simple. But as I was reading through the first two chapters, I came up with like 25 lessons and takeaways, but maybe we could talk through those first couple chapters to give people an idea. Yeah. So what I wanted is these characters, because I feel that as children are learning about different characters, they can then say, oh, I kind of want to be like that character. And some of these characters, they're not going to see in real life. So it starts off with this young girl called Gail, who's the granddaughter of one of the main characters, Grandpa, who's the book's named after. And then she meets this bully character called Boris. And so Boris is causing trouble. And, and so what she does is instead of just avoiding Boris, she tries to say, well, I'm going to try and help Boris <laughs> and teach him some. And she, Boris realizes that Gail has a very wealthy grandfather and he's a bit like, oh, you just, you're lucky. You've got this, all the money in the world. You've got given it on a, a silver platter. But she says, no, actually, that's not the case. My family, whilst they have money, they, they actually try and teach me about money. So I, all the money that I have is I've over earned it and looked after it myself. But I've been very lucky that I've been taught those lessons. So again, trying to hopefully that kids can see that it's more about being taught about money rather than just give, given money. And it's really interesting for 
Boris because he comes from a family that doesn't look after their money very well and he thinks that they don't have any money. And so what I really wanted to do is have these two characters which come from different families. And the key one for Boris is that Gail says, if you learn some lessons, you can become wealthy. And his kind of mindset was, no, I'd never become wealthy because I'm from a kind of poor family. But she's like, no, everyone can. And I think that's really, really powerful, especially for some families that don't come from, don't have a lot of money, that if their children can believe that they can become wealthy in the future, they'll start to have that mindset and look for ways in which they can earn more money or look after their money and grow. Um, so I think that was really one of the key points of the first chapter is to try and have that open mindset that if they take the time to learn about money, then that money can come to them uh, mm -hmm. over time. Yeah, and Gail is a, she's like the geeky, non-flashy, nerdy kid that's also, I guess, seemed like you were portraying her as like very true to herself and almost like respected because of it. So she's like a geek, but cool kid thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, because one of the key pieces that I want children to learn is not to keep up with the Joneses. And so this is not just to compare yourself to everyone else. I wanted this strong character who was like, I'm different. I'm a bit of a geek, but I don't care. This is me. And so she's hopefully someone that children will read and like this character and say, well, if Gail can be different and not care, and she's still a pretty cool character, but she try, doesn't just have to conform to what people would normally call, call being cool. Hopefully that will mm -hmm. entice other children to, if they're a bit different, to embrace it rather than just to conform. Yeah. So she eventually catches his attention with the potential to learn how to do money and become wealthy himself. But it's interesting how you use this language. He's using the word rich and she's using the word wealthy. I'm guessing you did that intentionally. Yes. And one of the chapters in the book later is all about the difference between being rich and really wealthy. And it's one of the bits that I talk about in my blogs quite a lot as well, because it's all about mindset. And it's one of the reasons that I wanted to have the book because two of the main characters in some of the later chapters, one is grandpa. And one is this other character called Richie Raccoon. And so Richie Raccoon is what I call rich. He has money, uh, has some, well, in the book it's gold. And he has a bit flashy and everyone wants to be like Richie because he has the nice house, the nice clothes and eats the mm -hmm. nicest foods. So everyone sees that in the real world. So that's what people see on social media, etc. But what people don't see is these other characters who are wealthy, which means people who are looking after their money. They have nice things, but they're things that they really appreciate themselves. They're not buying them because they're trying to impress others. They might have some nice clothes or they might have whatever they value, they still have, but they're doing it for themselves. They're not putting it on social media to show off. They're just buying it for their own happiness. And so this is what grandpa is. He doesn't start with much money, but he looks after what he has. And soon enough, he has enough. And actually what happens, he ends up looking after Richie Raccoon, who hasn't looked after his money. And when things go bad, he loses his money. And luckily, Grandpa helps him and teaches him some lessons to change the ways in which he thinks about money. So I think right. that's important. So it's given these, not just teaching them about rich versus wealthy, but given these characters. And so I hope well, pretty much every child I've spoken to about the book They've all said they want to be like grandpa and be wealthy, not rich like Richie Raccoon, which I think is really important because they're not going to see wealthy out and about in the world. So hopefully this fictional character will stick in their minds as they grow up. 
Yeah, it's like the guy going for the flash and all the nice things ends up. Well, you never know what's happening behind the scenes. And they, I love it. I mean, that's such a good example of what's super common is like they probably maybe don't even have their, their ducks in a row behind the scenes. And more, maybe even more importantly, they're not like material stuff maybe doesn't usually I don't think gives you the best value bang for your buck or happiness bang for your buck. So that's sprinkling that sort of thing in there. There's so many different things like you're sprinkling in here, which is always, I, I think, a sign of a good book. But you so then the second chapter, you go into this lesson, which you also have these kind of like things not to do, which yeah. is also a good way to do stories is like, here's what to do and here's what not to do. So maybe we can talk about the get rich quick schemes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So in the second chapter, so sorry, at the end of the first chapter, Gail was saying to her friend Boris, I'm going to teach you what my grandpa taught me. And he learned all these lessons on this faraway island called Pucha Pucha. And so the first, the second chapter is all about the first story of her grandpa, who when he was a young boy, he didn't have much money, come from a poor family. And he saw a, a news article saying that gold has been found on this faraway island. And so he says, right, I'm going to leave his job in the sort of newspaper delivery company finds a boat with his uncle who tells some awful jokes. He gets to this island of Pucha Pucha. And when he gets there, there's this man called Sam. And Sam tells him, like, you're going to be rich. There's loads of gold on this island. Go and find it. And it wasn't just grandpa who turned up. It was many people on these big boats turning up all desperate to go and find gold. And what happened was that he said, right, before you go digging for gold, make sure you go to my shop and buy your shovel so you can go and dig up. And so everyone went to his shop, bought their shovels, went to the island. And unfortunately, after days and days, none of them managed to find any gold, even though Sam kept telling them that house over there was bought by someone who found gold on this island. That house could be yours next day. But the key to the story was that Sam was making money because everyone kept coming to his island and buying his shovels and he became very, very wealthy. And the house, the big house that he was showing everyone was actually his house that he'd bought from all the money from the shovels. And so it just showed the key one is if someone, if it sounds too good to be true, it no doubt is. So that chapter is actually based on a real life story. So it's based on the gold rush in the 1800s in America and one of the, the richest people from the whole of the gold rush was this man who didn't find any gold, but he, he told everyone that there was gold to be found and he shop, sold hyped it. it yep, hyped it up and then sold them shovels, sold them accommodation, sold them food and water. But the more people he told to come, the more money he actually made. Um, and he became an extremely rich person. Now, he didn't become wealthy because he, he lost all the money shortly after. That's such a good example. I didn't, I didn't know. It was, and it's so, so interesting that it's based on a, a true story. And I'm sure there's a million of those stories. Yeah. It's a common scenario, unfortunately. But yeah. that's how Boris is leaning. It seems like in that first chapter, he's like, she catches or because he's saying the word rich. He's like, yeah, okay, you can teach me to be rich. Let's do this. And so I think going into this thinking, this might be a way for him to get rich quick-ish. But then she throws it on him like, first lesson, by the way, it ain't going to happen quick. Like, get rich quick is actually a sign of like, this is, you need to turn the other direction. Exactly. And that's one of the most important lessons with money. And I've got another chapter later on, which is all about patience. And in my mind, 
patience is the superpower of the wealthy and the more that parents can teach their kids about being patient especially in the world that we live in today with instant gratification the, the ability to to buy anything that we want with a click of a button and not even really know that a transaction's gone on we see so much uh, of other people to compare ourselves and we see everyone else mm. with all this nice stuff we just want it and so the more that we can teach our children to to be patient with their money still enjoy their money but with some of it be patient mm. then that's going to be such an advantage when they're, they're growing up yeah there is a lot of so i was reading your blog as well there's a ton of just good story so your blog is more geared towards parents reading wanting to learn more about how to teach their children and it's bluetreesavings.com and so you got all kinds of blog posts about written towards parents like us and helping and a lot of people listen and to help them and the book is more for the children or the parents to read to the kids but the blog is filled with a ton of good stories too you know i i had written down a bunch of them that i love but i'm curious what are your favorite stories or maybe what were your kid were your kids favorite stories because this is also really interesting that you actually did this first i think that's yeah. the best way to do this you like started this whole thing with your children Yes. Yeah. So my, yeah, and I, that's what I've really loved about this whole adventure that we've been going on. My kids are part of my business state. I've come up with stories and some of them, they just fall asleep. So I know that's not a good story. <laughs> and, and other times I'll come up a story and they'll get really, I can tell they just got really excited and they're asking lots of questions and they're coming up with ways to improve it in terms of the types of characters that I'm using. And so some of the stories that they really love so one's in the book, which is called The Trip to the Village, which is about this Richie Raccoon character wanting to go and plant his own forest. But every time he gets some seeds from grandpa, he goes through the village and never comes out of the village with any seeds to plant. And so, and they enjoy the fact that every time he goes in, he gets sort of not tricked, but coerced into giving some of his seeds away because it's always a good deal going on. So that's one of the ones that he writes. But there's some others that I've written after I've written the book, which they really enjoy. So two of them, one is called The Dragon That Pooped Too Much. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, they just really enjoyed mostly because it's about dragons and poop, but it's about actually buying their first car. And it just seems a bit of a, a weird bit given the title, but it's all about these two characters and turning 18 and they're going to have their first dragons, which they get to, it's like, like driving a car. And one of them wants the biggest, flashiest dragon that you could find. And the other one wants a bit more modest. And so they go through why they want that and how excited they are about having these dragons. But clearly the one that has the fancy dragon loves it to start with. But once it's flying around and he gets home, he has people knock on his door complaining about how much poop <laughs> this big dragon has done, which is all about expenses <laughs> so essentially the bigger the flashier the, the car the more expenses which is the poop <laughs> uh, and they have to get that up and so that, that's just stuck with them and that was really fun to write uh, and even though they're, they're yeah, years away from owning their first car i think that the message of the more you spend and the bigger fancier the car the more expenses come with that and the more poop in their mind they've got and then the other story which they really enjoyed was called the invisible slime story and so this was done in almost like a calendar style. So I can't remember what the name of the book. They were reading some books at the time and it was oh, Dork Diaries. It's a very famous book. And so it does it in Monday, this happened, Tuesday, this happened. Mm -hmm. And so this was a story around this boy came to a new town 
and he realized that everyone was wearing the nicest clothes and had the nicest things and they were being a, they were kind of teasing him for not having the nice pieces but then he went into this store and the store lady said oh you can have these clothes you can just pay me back later and so he was nice but when he put the clothes on they were really heavy and he didn't realize why and then got friendly with these children they stopped teasing him and he felt very happy but then he had to keep buying more clothes to keep up and not just wear the same and but every time he went back to the store she said yep that's fine just pay me back later but again the clothes were happy but this old lady had these massive glasses on but then one day she went back to the back of the store and left her glasses so the boy put the glasses on what he realized is that when he looked around everyone was covered in slime and you could only see the slime when you put these glasses on and the slime and he was like, oh, this, my clothes are disgusting. They're all covered in slime. And he looked around the shopping mall and everyone's clothes were covered in slime. And he was like, oh, I don't want this, these clothes anymore. I like my old clothes. And it was really, it helps teach them that most people are using debt, which is the slime. And most people are comparing themselves without really knowing what's really, their clothes are covered in slime. And so again, the kids loved that. A, because it was quite an interesting story with this, with the slime and the glasses and the characters, but it really stuck with them. And they kind of, I know it's a good story or it's been a memorable story when they reference it in everyday life. So when they see something on social media, they might say, oh, I wonder if they've got some slime on those clothes. <laughs> and so I find those, that's kind of when I know that a story is is not just entertaining, but also the lesson has stuck with them. So yeah, they've been the two of them have been stuck with my kids. Yeah, that's always a good sign of a, a story is you remember it. And stories are easier to remember naturally, especially if you enjoy this story. And I tell my kids stories every, it's my younger two stories every night still. They'll remember it and I don't because I go off the cuff with them. You know, I just make up something and every once in a while they'll like refer to it later. I'm like, I don't remember anything about I mean, I kind of remember that it was a story, but I'm like, I can't remember the context of it. And I was half asleep and kind of yeah. going off the cuff, but they, it stuck with them and that, but you're, so you're doing this much more intentionally and sprinkling in all these lessons. And that's why this is fantastic. I mean, it's such a creative way to do things. The other piece that I use, so rather than just fictional stories, I like to use some real life examples. So a lot of my blogs, I also use companies like mcdonald's or starbucks or even or mc Red, hammer mc hammer um in there just to really bring home some of the messages and especially like mcdonald's not to, i want to try and encourage people to go to mcdonald's or endorse mcdonald's in any way but it's just because it's kind of an easy topic but topic like how does mcdonald's make money it's not just from selling burgers and it just gets them curious about different topics and they've been the one some of the most popular for the parents and so many of comments I get is I never knew that <laughs> myself and that's what I really enjoy as well so it's a bit of a Trojan horse some of my blogs is whilst I'm saying you can teach your kids this I know that a lot of parents didn't know a lot of these topics so some of them yeah. just interest like McDonald's ones but there's others such as I did one on about NFTs when that was blowing up earlier this year and a lot of parents were like, oh, I'm so glad you wrote this in a, a format that's good enough to be or easy enough to teach kids just because I didn't know anything about it. So my knowledge is the same as a child's. So that really helped them. So some of those blogs were very popular, cryptocurrency and even the greater full theorem, which is underlying both of those topics. A lot yeah, of parents yeah. said they enjoyed. 
Yeah, I like as soon as I finished the read the MC Hammer story, I was like, I didn't actually realize that's how his story played out. But it's an interesting basically everybody knows most people know MC Hammer did really well and then did not really bad and went bankrupt, but he's turned the corner and came back the other direction. And you described it as more of like he's attaining wealth now and was before he was just rich. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, what a richer raccoon character in the book is essentially he's the same followed the same journey as as mc hammer he had lots of money but then lost it but then learned how to look mm -hmm. after it now he's much happier yeah. more secure than ever another one i would i would recommend all you guys listening there's one about teaching your kids the importance of teaching your children how to sell or what selling is and sprinkling that in i think that's a fantastic topic and it what i wasn't really on my radar to think about but i realize i mean it's such an important skill and we don't like tend to naturally i guess talk about it no well the, the whole concept of entrepreneurship when i was growing up it was just never raised on my, my parents worked for companies my friends parents worked for companies it was just never taught at school so it's always go to school get good grades go and work for a company work for them for 40 years and then retire whereas once I kind of read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, that's when I started to go, oh, actually, that sounds like something I could do. And I wish I had thought about that when I was younger and I didn't have all my dependents <laughs> take those kind of risks it would have been much easier. And so I wanted my kids to understand that it's an option. It doesn't mean it, they have to become entrepreneurs, but I think some children are just naturally going to be really good at being entrepreneurs. I think they're going to enjoy yeah. it without given them the exposure or knowledge about it being an option. I think there's going to be a lot of potential wasted talent going through, but part of entrepreneurship is all about selling and the ability to, to sell your ideas, your products, whatever it may be, even to team members. And so it's something that I never thought about um, when I was going through my career. But as soon as I started doing my blog and uh, started Blue Tree Savings, I knew, right, I need to, to learn more about selling. And it's been a fascinating journey. So I'm hoping my kids are going to pick up some of the tips from a younger age and try a few businesses out themselves and without any risks or consequences, but hopefully just lots of mistakes and learning lessons as they go through that. So when they're, they've become adults, they have that bank of ideas, experience, mistakes behind them. Yeah. I mean, it's a great foundation. So the book, once again, the book is, we'll link to this in the show notes, but it's grandpa's fortune fables, fun stories to teach kids about money. And then the podcast is bluetreesavings.com. And as I was saying like that, if, if you're trying to learn yourself as parents, I would check out the blog for sure. And the book is a great one to either read to your kids or have them read depending on their age. And I think everyone I don't know if you're listening and myself included, and you haven't really spent much intentional time talking to your kids about money, you should jump on this like immediately. Like there's no reason not to, because, and I'm sure all of you agree, like money is an important thing to teach your children. So this is a great way to get that conversation going and insert those, start to insert those ideas into our head or their head and really do what we've been talking about. So Will, I appreciate it. Any, as we wrap up, I wanted to throw out any other suggestions you would have for parents or like ways to dig in and get started. And I know we've already thrown out like your book and your blog are fantastic. Yeah. So keep on is just to start asking your kids some questions about money. The kids are so curious about it. If you give them the forum to speak about it and ask questions about it, and don't be afraid to say that you don't know the answer now, let's go and find out together. 
and having those conversations. And I, I've done some workshops with kids and families and schools. And every time I've been to a school, the amount of questions, I always run out of time because the kids are just asking question after question. They do love that. And so the best mm -hmm. bit of feedback about the book has been when parents have read it with their children and then said to me, we've had some amazing conversations afterwards. And I didn't realize that they didn't know I go to work to earn money, which we yeah. all probably take for granted. Or they right. don't know where money comes from. They just think there's a magic hole in the wall that gives them an endless supply of money. And so, yeah, giving them an opportunity. So, yeah, if people are listening to this, just start a conversation about money. You're like, why does mom and dad go to work? Where do you think money comes from? What do you want to spend money on? Et cetera. And you'll get some fascinating insights to what your children already know about money and what they want to learn about money as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm sure as you continue to write, I would suspect you'll probably have a second book and a third book. And you know, that's the cool thing about blogging is it kind of gets you in this routine of writing and, and putting stuff out there and keep up the good work on that. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thank you again for having me on the show and giving this important topic some airtime to people because it's just not top of mind sadly for many families and hopefully that will change after this yep awesome thank you